There was a student in our ministry uh, a couple years ago, and he had an internship here at the church that still exists. It's a different uh, student that has it now, but it's with Roy. So if you guys know Roy, he is uh, the, uh, the bearded warbler, I've heard him recently called. <laughs> okay, so he looks a little bit like Santa Claus. He, uh, he's got a big white beard. He's always whistling, and he's essentially the church's handyman. Okay, so he's on the facility staff, and um, he's constantly uh, fixing the church. And there's an internship where someone comes and helps him. Joel's looking at me like, is this, what is this story? I think he helped me with this, to get this fact straight about this recently. But what I'm told about this internship is that your, your primary job is to get the tools that Roy needs at any given point in time. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience where your dad is doing a project and he's underneath a car or he's underneath the sink or whatever and he says, hey, give me that tool. And you say, what tool? And he says the name of it and you don't know it. Well, that's essentially the, uh, the day in, day out of the intern with Roy, okay, as I'm told, is uh, you get to know the contents of this massive cart of tools that he's constantly pushing around. And so, what's that? He has three carts. Thank you, Leif. <laughs> I've only seen him with one at a time. I didn't realize. But I have noticed that they have different things on them at different points in time. Okay, yeah. So um, he really is a magnificent servant, uh, Roy is. But this particular student um, early on was working with Roy, and Roy pointed at the cart and said, hey, give me the square. And, uh, and the student said, uh, he, he saw what Roy was pointing at, and he said, the what? He said, give me the square. And so then the student looks at him and says, okay. Now, I know I'm not the brightest, and I'm a little new at this job, paraphrasing here, but I did go to elementary school, and what you're pointing at is a triangle. <laughs> and Roy said, give me the square, and he gave it to him. Okay, that's, that's my best. Now, I think I got most of those facts pretty much straight. If you didn't get the joke, there's a tool called a square, that is indeed shaped like a triangle, okay? And it gives you right angles and perpendicular lines and things like that, okay? Here's the moral of the story. It's very possible for you to have a tool in your hand that's very useful, but if you don't know the name of it, and you don't know what it's for, then it becomes useless. Tonight, we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts, and I think many of us don't think about it as much as maybe we should, uh, to recognize the importance of knowing what is it that the Lord has particularly gifted me to do? And therefore, what is my particular responsibility to love my church in this way? So I think it's a very important topic for us tonight. So open up to 1 Corinthians 12, which is one of the, the best explanations of the spiritual gifts, and that's partially because Paul is writing to the Corinthians to correct some misuse of the gifts. The book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is uh, essentially a topical study of the church. Um, Paul begins by chastising the church on various issues, and then he goes through various questions. It seems like the Corinthian church had written him asking questions, and this is one of those questions. And so as we open up with um, chapter 12, we see now concerning spiritual gifts, and that's kind of a cue that Paul is now moving to the next topic of discussion in 1 Corinthians. And so, Paul is moving to the topic of spiritual gifts. He says, Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. 
And so the first question we're going to answer, we're going to go through five questions. If you see on your sheet, I provided a little outline. We're just trying this out to see if it makes you guys pay better attention. I'm just kidding. You guys actually pay really good attention. But I am, Sage had the idea, and I thought, you know, this might actually be helpful. And so we have some fill-in-the-blanks. You guys might feel like you're back in uh, sixth grade, but I love sixth grade. So here we go. First question is, how do I identify a gift of the Holy Spirit? A really practical question, actually. And so this is what Paul addresses first. Um, if you look in verse 3, chapter 12, well, actually, I should start back in, in 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And so Paul's concern is that they may not be able to identify a true gift of the Spirit versus some kind of a demonic influence. And so in verse 3, he goes on, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so I think that, and there is some debate about this, but I think one thing that is beyond debate is that this final line, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, is trying to point to how you identify a true gift of the Holy Spirit. And you can summarize it in what I've given as the answer. True gifts result in reverence for Jesus Christ. And this is really fleshed out in the rest of the chapter. True gifts are going to result in reverence for Jesus Christ. So that's the primary criteria that Paul gives. He says, well, basically, if what you're doing is not resulting in glory for God, if people are not watching what you do and turning and saying, wow, Jesus is Lord, then you're, either you're misusing a gift or it's not a gift at all. Okay? And it also points to the primary purpose of the gift, which we're going to get to in a, in a moment. Okay? But we can basically say, Jesus said it like this, you will know them by their fruits, right? Well, in terms of spiritual gifts, as you watch the fruit of a gift, you'll know its legitimacy, right? Now, that is the, the essential nature of what Paul says here. I want to expand it just slightly. Um, so this is not in the text, but it is very helpful because I know that, well, one thing we're going to be asking ourselves tonight is, what are my spiritual gifts? Do I have spiritual gifts? How should we think about this? And I realize that we might be coming from different camps because I don't know all of your backgrounds in here, okay? So I'm going to explain kind of where our church stands on this. I hope it clarifies some things for some of you. Um, but one really helpful resource that I went through was the greenhouse class here at this church. It's the new members class, but it really also functions just as an introduction to the church if you're curious. So as a side note, if any of you wanted to understand the church better and you weren't sure if you wanted to join it, um, the Greenhouse class is a really fantastic resource, okay? So this is just one piece of that resource. I'm going to hop to um, the visual for it. Here we go. And it's basically this little stair step. I don't want to share. I want to present. Nor do I want to look at that. Here it is. It's kind of blurry, but you have it on your sheets, okay? I think this is just a, just a helpful overview as you think about this process. Now, tonight, part of that packet is a spiritual gifts assessment, and we're going to take it tonight. It doesn't take very much time. And so I thought this will be kind of a fun activity. So I'm going to talk fast in hopes that we don't keep you here all night. Um, you guys can take that and then take that into your C group. So that's just a little preview of what we're doing. But I do want to just pause and say I am not convinced that a spiritual gifts assessment is all you need to do, and then you'll know exactly what God wants you to do. It, it, there's much more to it than that. And so, just really quick, number one we see in this is prayer. Uh, 
vital for us to ask God, please help me identify what gift you've given me that will result in greater reverence for Jesus. What, what can I do that will lead to me and others having greater reverence for Jesus? So we have to start there. We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is going to be leading this process. And then we turn to study. Now, the study can include a couple different things. It can include, sure, the, um, the assessment we're about to take, but primarily it's study of the Word of God to understand what are these gifts, what do they look like, right? So that's going to be a piece of this, and tonight is very much an overview. But if you get something on your assessment that says, um, you know, I'm exhortation, well, then there, there's ways to look into Scripture and say, okay, where is this mentioned? How can we understand what this really is? Why do we think this is still in effect today? Those kind of questions are good, and this is a result of study. And so I would, I would throw into this also another resource is one another, and this is, a, this is maybe one of the most important points to make. When you are asking yourself, what has God gifted me to do? Then you, one, of the, one of your very first steps, in this case the second step, is to ask other people what they see in you. And so if your assessment says, you know, encouragement, and then you're like, I've always thought I was super encouraging. And then you go to your C group, and they're like, well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> um, I was super discouraged last week, and you told me I was failing as a person. And uh, so maybe that's just not your gift, right? And that's, that is totally a legitimate thing. So we need each other's input. We, we really do. Not only peers, um, but also mentors, people that we respect. Um, and I've heard this again and again going through seminary, you know, plenty of guys think, okay, I think I should be a pastor. But then when they ask their mentors and their pastors, those pastors might, might just change that direction slightly and say, you know, you have these, but I think if you pursue pastoral ministry, you're going to run into these roadblocks. I'm not sure this is exactly how the Lord has gifted you. And that's so valuable. We want that. We want to know, okay? So that's a part of study. Desire uh, is just that it actually matters what you want. And so I think that a piece of a gift is going to be a desire to do it to some degree. And so if you find in yourself a desire to do something, that could be an indication that the Lord is gifting you to do it. It might mean that it'll take some time to develop that. Um, I have become a better teacher than I was when I started. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that I, I, I'm not gifted for teaching, but you can grow in it. But there was a desire from the beginning. Oh, I really love doing this. I really want to do this. We see that, with, again, with pastors. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, if someone desires this office of overseer, of pastor, that's a good thing. He desires a good thing. And that desire is, is kind of pointing to something good in that individual. Uh, on the other hand, if you have zero desire to do something, then you don't necessarily have to feel pressured, like, I really should have this gift, and I really should be doing this. Well, maybe let that be okay. Um, that doesn't mean that you're free from a general command to do that thing. Like, let's say it's mercy. Oh, I don't have to be merciful. No, but it, it's okay to follow, to some degree, what you naturally, what the Lord is leading you to want to do. Uh, ability, number four, God will give you the ability to accomplish what he calls you to do. So one of the requirements, again, for being a pastor, which is just one of the clearest um, giftings and offices in the, in the Bible, which is why I keep going back to it. But in order to be a pastor, not only do you have to want to be a pastor, but you have to be able to teach, right? And so God will give you the ability to do something, and that's kind of just a given, right? You guys understand that. If he's gifting you to do something, that means you're going to be able to do it. So the final thing is blessing. You'll see God glorified when you do it, and, and he will multiply those efforts and bring some fruit. So it can be a really simple thing. But I'll just remind you, of these stair steps as we move through the passage. 
And again, I realize I'm not getting these five steps out of 1 Corinthians 12, um, but these are in, in other places in Scripture and just important to keep in mind. So going back to 1 Corinthians 12 now, let's move to the second question. What is the source and purpose of the spiritual gifts? And this is where Paul begins to spend a significant amount of time. He starts in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And he's going to start just saying this kind of over and over again in different ways. And he's trying to get a point across. I think verse 7 becomes a really helpful summary of what he's trying to say in really verses 4 through 11. And so I've got it here. Verse 7, to each is given a, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay? And with this, there's this theme of unity. You'll see same, same, same. And then he goes on and same, same. It's crazy. Okay? And so this is what I think Paul is trying to do. So what's the source and purpose of the, of the spiritual gifts? The source is what? Based on verse 7. Holy Spirit. Okay? So it's directly from the Spirit of God. He's, he is giving a manifestation of the Spirit. And then what is the purpose? This is, a, this is a churchy word. Anybody got it? Edification. Wow. Dylan in the back. Very good. Edification. And now, I use this word intentionally because it'll confuse some of you, and I want to explain it. Uh, it just means to build up. But for whatever reason, we don't like to say build up because we picture bricks, although that's kind of the idea. Um, edification means to build up. And so you are given a specific skill for the purpose of the common good. And we often use the word edification because it means you're given a skill to build up something that is common to everyone, a unity. And as we'll find, that unity is the church. The common good that he's talking about is primarily your church, the body of Christ. So you are given, like let's say you're, a, in this analogy, a plumber, and then this other person's an electrician, and this other person, uh, what do you call a person that works with bricks? A, mort a mortician? Nope. Mason, thank you. Um, so yeah, you have these different... <laughs> I was wondering if anyone was going to laugh at that. So yeah, we have these different roles, and they're all given for one purpose, and that is edification, common good. And I believe that's at least one reason that he is emphasizing, look, all of these gifts are coming from one source, and they're all moving toward one end. Does that make sense? There's a unity within them. Because I think these Corinthians are looking around, and especially considering their pagan backgrounds, they're thinking, oh, each gift, that could be a different spirit. And they, they might be opposed to each other. And, and so that, and they might be kind of confused based on their background on how the Holy Spirit works. We are pretty well versed in the fact that there's only one spirit. And Paul's point is, okay, now take that principle and realize that if there's only one spirit, although there's a diversity of gifts, there's only one purpose. And that will bring the gifts back together again. And that is for this common good. Does that make sense? Now, there's a couple implications from this. One is that from here, and this is not the only place that it's said like this, to each is given. That each could also be translated every. And I believe an implication of this is that every believer does receive a spirit, spiritual gift when they are saved. So that means the question is not, do I have a spiritual gift? It, the answer to that is, okay, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the question is, what is the gift he has given in me? 
that I am to fan into flame. It may not be super obvious. You might be holding a tool you don't know what to do with, okay? But every one of you is holding a tool, okay? That's the implication from each. Um, and then a couple of, of things from the fact that the Spirit is the source. I would just want to say on the one hand, that means that I think we can look at a, a spiritual gifts assessment and, and say, oh, it's like a Christian version of the Myers-Briggs, right? I mean, has, have any of you guys ever thought something like that? You know, maybe you haven't said it out loud. Oh, cool, like, okay, the Christians made their own version, right? Um, it can kind of feel like that, unfortunately. Uh, it is different. Now, whether the assessments are entirely different, I don't know, but the, the gifts of the Spirit are different from natural giftings because these are directly from the Holy Spirit. They're received only by believers, and they have a very specific purpose. Okay, so on the one hand, that means that those who do not believe in Jesus don't have spiritual gifts. And so if they were to take the assessment, they might find some natural giftings, but there's not going to be that spiritual power producing fruit beyond what was put in, essentially, right? And so I would think of it kind of like this. This is my analogy for spiritual gifts, but when the Spirit is empowering something that you're doing, what you'll find is the fruit of what you do seems much greater than the amount that you put into it. It's like God just multiplies. You, you throw down one seed and three plants spring up. Then that's when you know that you're onto something because it's not about you doing it. It's about you doing something and the Spirit of God doing something through you. That's why it's so different from a natural ability. So yes, it will look like you're good at something, but we know as Christians when something is multiplying way beyond a person, it means, well, that very well might be maybe the Holy Spirit working through a gifting that they gave them for the purpose of building up the church. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. So that's the source and the purpose. So the purpose, again, is to, to edify for the common good. Let's, um, okay, actually, here I have a side note, okay, because we're talking about spiritual gifts, and I had to put this somewhere. And right here in the passage, we start to see a list of giftings, all right? Utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, um, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, okay? And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, what about these giftings and do we speak in tongues here? All right, most of you know uh, we don't speak in tongues here, but maybe you don't know much more than that. So I thought it would be helpful just, again, I have to be pretty brief, but I want to go to the, um, the doctrinal statement of Shepherd's Church. I don't know if you guys have looked at that. Um, you really should read through it. Um, I want you to be aware of what we believe. I want you to know, if you claim it as your doctrine, I want you to know what you believe. Now, this is what we say about um, the gifts. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church through which the members serve one another and the world. And some of those gifts were temporary and are no longer given today. Some revelatory gifts, such as word of knowledge, tongues, and interpretation, were critical when the church was without the written New Testament. Other foundational gifts, such as healing and raising from the dead, were used to confirm and validate the ministry of the apostles as the authentic founders of the church. So that's where we stand. And I just want to highlight a couple of things, all right? So note, about halfway down, it says some revelatory gifts 
And then the implication from, from that statement is that these are no longer given today, all right? And we are, in this sense, um, cessationist, meaning that we believe that some gifts have ceased. Um, some churches take that all the way and say, we don't need any gifts because we have the Bible. Um, we don't see that in Scripture, and we say, well, it seems like, from the emphasis on the importance of the gifts, some gifts are still in effect. And so then the question becomes, well, then why don't we see some of these sign gifts or miraculous gifts? And I'd, I'd say um, there's a couple of answers to that. So um, really two things. Number one is that a sign gift is a stamp of authenticity. Okay? And so... Man, there's so much here. I'm looking around and I'm like, I wish this could be like a whole sermon. So I know this is not enough information. If you're curious about this, please approach me afterward or, or Jenna or Sage. Or, um, we'd love to, to walk you through some of these things. Um, but it's essentially, some gifts like, say, um, healing is a really good one, were used, at least in part, to authenticate ministries. So think of Jesus when the paralytic was lowered down in front of him. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And then the scribes question in their hearts, how can he forgive sins? Only God can do that. And he says, so that you know I have authority to forgive sins. Rise, take up your bed, go home. Okay? And so that was the purpose of many of these sign gifts, and that's made explicit in the New Testament for the apostles as well. Now, once those apostles have been authenticated, the New Testament has been written, there's not a need for that same kind of authentication. So that's one kind of gift that we believe has ceased. And, um, and I'd say maybe one of the, the main ones. And then other ones such as prophecy, again, with the completion of the Bible, become unnecessary because we have the completed scripture. And it's hard for us to fathom, I think, how much of a new thing the church was and how much direction was needed for this sudden... Uh, it was Jews in the synagogue studying the Torah, following the law. And suddenly, it's the Wild West. Gentiles are allowed in, they don't have to follow the law. Jews don't technically have to either. We're one body. And, and how does all this work? What does all this mean? There's all these gifts. So God gave specific gifts like prophecy, tongues, to give clarity in the midst of that while the apostles are directing and writing the New Testament. Okay, So that's where we stand on the gifts. And so we're going to say certain gifts like tongues are not in effect today and other gifts absolutely are, okay? So unless there's a really explicit reason not to believe that they're in effect, we would say, I think that they are. I don't know how many of you guys have experienced, uh, have, have maybe some of you are in this room and you do believe in tongues. I, I, I respect that. Um, my wife and I uh, went to Cuba the summer after we were married, and what was interesting about it was, and, and they are dear believers, they are sincere believers, um, but Cubans talk really fast, for one thing, all right? And for another thing, they kind of yell all the time. And for another thing, we were learning Spanish and barely knew it, okay? And for another thing, they did speak in tongues. So <laughs> basically, we'd be in like a prayer circle, and then we could not tell if they were speaking really fast Spanish or if they were speaking in tongues, you know, and their version of tongues. So it was pretty fun. So I don't know what your experience is of that. Um, but uh, yeah, see, I could just get into this. But we're going to keep on moving, all right? So that's just a side note. I hope that's clarifying. And I, I did want to make this one more clarification. Saying that we don't believe in the gift of healing does not mean 
that we don't pray for healing and believe God can heal. Okay? I think some people will, will walk into this church. I think I walked into this church being like, God can do anything he wants. Come on. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Like, God still heals people. Okay? And if you take um, Stephen's greenhouse class, he has a, an audio clip that's just fascinating and amazing. I tear up every time I hear it. So I'll leave you with that little, little nugget and make you want to go and, and listen to it. Okay? All right, but let's keep on moving. So verse 12, I think this is the next question we're hitting, is why is there a diversity of gifts? So now Paul is getting really in the nitty-gritty. Why is it that there's so many different people with different skill sets, essentially, and more than skill sets, but gifts of the Spirit? Well, the answer is because like a, anyone fill in that blank for me? Like, yeah, like a human body or a body, like a human body, the church is made of different parts that need to function in different roles so the body can thrive. So we've been talking around this, but Paul makes it very, very explicit. He starts in verse 12 saying, the church is like a body. And then in verse 13, he says, when you were saved, you were made a part of the body, and now you have a role to play. Okay, so the church is like a body, as soon as you were saved, you got attached to the body, and now, immediately, you've got a role to play. So that's what he's saying uh, in, in this when he says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And then he moves on in verse 14 with this analogy. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He's now talking about a human body. By the way, this is why we often say the body of Christ. It comes from language like this in the New Testament, right? But now he's talking about a human body. A human body doesn't have one piece, but it has many pieces. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, uh, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. In, in, in essence, um, a foot needs the hand, the eye needs the knee, or whatever it is. But if everyone wants to be an eye, then you have a pile of eyeballs. Okay, there's an image for you. Just picture, instead of me up here, a functioning human being, a pile of eyeballs. That's, that's Paul's point, is if the body were all one thing, then we'd have a problem. And yet, he's pointing to something else here. He's pointing to the fact that we often covet gifts that we don't have. We often want to be something that we are not right? And we conclude from that, well, because I can't do this, I'm not useful. Because I am not a hand, I must not even be a piece of the body. God didn't give me a gift. Well, that's just not how it works. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, we have the Super Bowl coming up, and I think teams are also another good analogy to kind of understand this, right? What position does, you know, when you're in middle school and you're playing at recess, what position does everybody kind of want to play? Wide receiver, I heard, but quarterback is what I'm thinking of. Quarterback gets all the glory. Wide receivers get some glory, but most people still don't know their name. Sorry, wide receivers. Um, at least if you're not like a big football fan, right? But there's a lot of glory in being the quarterback. We can acknowledge that. And I think the, the church is kind of like that. We can see, oh, Stephen Davey. Well, I'm not a Stephen Davey, so maybe I, maybe I don't have a purpose, right? Well, that's what Paul is, is saying wrong. And again, the difference between, the problem with the football analogy, by the way, just to make this point again, 
some of us really would be terrible at every single position on the football team, okay, myself included, all right? But again, Paul's point is, no, you have a purpose. You have a role. There is a part to play in the body, in the team. And so it's not a question of, am I useful? It becomes, how am I useful? What should I be pursuing? What should I be doing? Um, So there is a danger to covet someone else's role, and then you neglect what God has given you to do. And and what Paul is saying is, as it is, and I'm going to jump to verse 18 here, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. This is Paul's encouragement to you. God's the one who gave you that gift. So don't neglect it. Don't pretend that it's not important. No, God is the one who arranged the body, which means that if your gift is less visible, that's okay. God gave you that gift to do, and he sees it. And on the other hand, if your gift involves something that you perceive as being somewhat difficult, don't worry. God's the one who arranged the body. He put you in that role, and he's going to strengthen you to accomplish the task that he's given you. And this is going to be really encouraging when you step out in faith into some role that you don't feel entirely prepared for. I know that was true when I started as the pastor here, okay? It was just a huge comfort to me to know, well, one way or another, God called me here. And that means he's going to empower me to do it. And so for many of you, uh, hopefully tonight is is a little bit of of a spur on to volunteer with a specific ministry of the church. Maybe that's here in the college ministry or somewhere else. But I'll just say, you can have great confidence as you, as you just kind of figure out what God's gifting is. When you, when you do have some confidence in that, but you're still scared because it's scary and hard, be comforted. God is the one who has given you the gift. And whether you see it or feel it or not, God is going to also empower you to do it. That's a great comfort. So the takeaway here is embrace your gift. And as Paul says to Timothy, fan it into flame, right? Fan into flame the gift that is in you. So there's this encouragement not only to identify it, but to encourage it, to grow it. And we're going to understand why here in just a second. So the next question, and this is kind of an in-between, but what does this mean for how we treat each other? So now Paul seems to shift the focus from you know, a person who doesn't think they have a role to a person who thinks they, they've got it all, right? The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. So, here's an, so as an example of something that might be weaker, um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have. You've seen people come into church who are um, crippled. Maybe they, can, maybe they can't even speak. And you don't know how much mental capacity they have. I think it would be very easy for us to look at a person like that and say, you might be dispensable to the body of Christ. But what Paul is saying, wrong. Actually, the weaker parts are indispensable. And then you can just think about, I mean, how many of us are believers in this room because someone else who we've never met was praying somewhere, right? A very invisible, it could have been someone from a bed, praying. And so there's just incredible power that God works from parts of the body that are not super visible. 
and we can have this attitude in ourselves that we don't need other people. Less honorable, again, I, uh, I just thought of this, this example in the, uh, in between services here at church, there's the 9.30 and the 11, um, there's that men's bathroom that gets just uh, an onslaught, okay? And so some of the guys here have actually started helping clean it, which is awesome, with our friend, the bearded warbler, Roy, okay? So uh, I have seen, I don't know if it's ever happened, but I just thought of this in my head. I've definitely seen Stephen Davy in there, okay? And I've also seen Roy in there. And so my thought was, now who would I be more tempted to bestow honor on if I'm in the bathroom and both of those men walk in? Who am I going to tiptoe around, make sure that he's got everything he needs, make sure he knows that I see him, but you know, but I'm not going to like make him talk to me, but if he wants to talk to me, I'm available, you know, he's my boss. Okay, I'm going to back into Roy, right? That's my temptation, and that's each of our temptation. And again, what Paul is saying, no, we, those that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. He's trying to, to flip this. And why, again, why is this? It's because God, in verse 24, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And then verse 25, this is again so, so crucial, not that there would be division. He didn't, he didn't create it like this so that we'd be divided against ourselves, but so that the members may have the same care for one another. I think this is essentially a, a repeat, a restatement of verse 7. Right? Why are these different manifestations of the Spirit given? It's so that we have care for one another, not so there's division, but so that we can honor and care for one another. And so we may be tempted to have a reaction to one another like, oh, I don't know if I need you. And now one, one area that this is unfortunately fleshed out is that we can isolate ourselves from each other. And we can see but, but actually, that is a reflection of this attitude that says, I don't need the body. So when you isolate yourself, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and you don't have regular contact with other believers, you don't have any deep relationships with other believers, on the one hand, that's, that's well, it's a problem on two fronts, okay? The first front is, you are not loving them, because you are ignoring the fact that you have something that they need, and they're not going to have it without you. And on the other hand, you are reflecting great pride because you're saying, I don't need you guys. So it's a huge problem on both fronts, right? And so I'll use that simply to say, now our version of encouraging this kind of community is C groups. And if you're not in a C group, I would highly encourage you to get into a C group. They're so good. I'm looking around the room and most of you are in one. I'm so grateful for that. Um, but are you prioritizing that? If you're not in one, are you, are you making it a priority? Or if you are in one, are you showing up on time? I met with the secret leaders recently, and uh, the word on the street is that you guys show up like 20 or 30 minutes late. So let me just say this. That's not really respecting the other members of the body, right? You're wasting 20 minutes times every person in that room, so, you know, a couple hours of time, potentially, right? You're just not, you're not loving it, you're not treating it with the kind of respect that, that those people deserve, right? And it goes back again to how do you see yourself as a part of the body? Do you see you as an important part of their life, and do you see them as a vital part of your life? We have to have both of these understandings, and then we'll say, 
Even if I don't feel like it, even if I'm busy, even if I'm tired, this is incredibly important. So I just really encourage you in that, in that sense. And, and then beyond that, not just C groups, but many of your gifts need to be exercised beyond the college ministry. You, you need to exercise that gift in the Shepherd's Church or if you're in a different church, in your church. Your church needs your gift. And what Paul is talking about primarily, this is in a section talking about the gathering of the local body. So he's saying, we, you, the church needs you. And so, uh, again, our assessment tonight is kind of geared toward helping you uh, identify just some options, some ways that you could be serving, whether that's one another, college ministry, or another ministry in the church. So one last question where Paul kind of leaves it, and uh, it's kind of a cliffhanger. On these last several verses, what should be my motivation for using my gifts? It's kind of a summary of everything we've talked about. Any guesses? The word doesn't show up, but he says, I'll show you a still more excellent way. Love. Love. Okay, I think that love is supposed to be the motivation of gifts. Let me remind you, this chapter precedes 1 Corinthians 13, and then 1 Corinthians 14 immediately follows that. Now, 12 is a chapter about spiritual gifts. 14 is a chapter about spiritual gifts. And in the middle, I think the key to understanding spiritual gifts is the chapter most loved in the Bible for its description of love, right? Love is the key to the spiritual gifts because it tells us what should be my motivation. And what Paul says is you should want to do the thing that's most beneficial to those around you, regardless of what that is. And so he picks on the gift of tongues because the, the Corinthians church apparently is not using it well. Multiple people are talking at the same time. No one's interpreting. And, and it's not helpful. It's not edifying to the church. That's his whole point. And unfortunately, I know there are many churches that are doing that still today. And there, there isn't any clear edification happening. And Paul is just pointing to that and saying, look, this is a problem because you're missing the whole point, which is to love each other and edify one another, build each other up and just speaking in a language that is not being interpreted and no one, no one knows what you're saying, it's not helpful. It's reflecting actually pride and you're just trying to show off. And unfortunately, that's another danger that we have with our gifts, right? It's just to show off. So in verse 27 here, he says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He's, he's kind of bringing things to a close. He's summarizing. And then he starts listing these gifts. And what's interesting is he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And so it's funny, right, for him to say, on the one hand, all these gifts are essential. And on the other hand, I want you to want the gifts that are higher. And so it's kind of this, he's teeing himself up to answer the question, what makes a gift a higher gift? What makes a gift a better gift? And his answer to that, after talking about love, is what is going to love other people better? You should want to do that. That, that is the key to your spiritual gift. And so that's why we're talking about spiritual gifts in the context of this series on love. Because this answers the practical question, how do you love your church? I want to get as practical as I can with you guys and, and help you to see love, while we've been kind of talking about it at this like 40,000 foot view, it, we've got to get into the nitty gritty. We've got to say, what does this actually mean? And I think this is just one step toward that to say, well, Identify what you can do 
how you can love others in the church, and then do it. Go do it. Trust God. All right? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into letting you guys uh, take the test. All right? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that you've given us to study your word. And, uh, and Lord, I really believe that this group can grow in love and that understanding how you've gifted each one of us, both for our own sake and for others, understanding other people will help us to just grow and to build, to watch the body build itself up in love. And so I pray that you would give clarity through your spirit. Uh, I pray that to the extent that the assessment is accurate and helpful, that it would be uh, both of those things for our students, and, um, and that we would leave here and, and leave our C groups also this week um, encouraged and also challenged to love each other in really practical ways. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.